Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things. On Truest Blood. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. This week, we sample the emotional pie that is Cold Ground, written by Rael Tucker and directed by Nick Gomez. So this episode is all about Grand's funeral. Yeah, it's a doozy. There's, this is a very it emotional is. episode. It is. Uh, we talk about loss and grief and forgiveness. Yep. In the episode, food plays a big role. Yes, has an interesting spotlight this episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and actually, so does... Anna Paquin, you know, I think we were really yeah. going to have to give her her props this episode. She really nails it. Yeah, it's a big it. Sookie episode here. Mm-hmm. And we also got to interview the incredible, spectacular, talented Adina Porter. And it's incredible mm-hmm. how personal she was in this interview. I, I cried yeah. buckets. Yeah, uh, you should absolutely stick around and make sure you hear everything that she shares. Yes, and about bringing Letty May to life. But first... This week on True Blood. Sookie stands in shock at the sight of her grandmother's body when Bill and Sam make a surprise and possibly suspicious entrance. Each one vows to protect her, and things get a little competitive as they mark the romantic territory. Downstairs, the cops are no closer to a suspect. But the killer is closing in. I suspect whoever did this is targeting women who associate with vampires. You can't be serious, Adele Stackhouse and a vamp? Oh, I don't think Sookie's grandmother was the intended victim. Sookie, refusing to leave the home that Gran made for her, spends what is left of the night cleaning up her grandmother's blood. The next day, the whole town has turned out for the wake bringing condolences and comfort food aplenty. Tara and Lafayette look after Sookie as only true friends know how, until Jason, in a V-and-grief-induced rage, shows up and lashes out violently at his sister. Jason. Ah! What the fuck? It's your fault. Gran's dead because of you. Should have been you! Oh, bitch, don't you lay hand on her! She's throwing a vampire, Tara. A fucking vampire! Tara and Lafayette send him and everyone else packing, leaving Sookie a Valium so she can finally rest. Outside, Bill and the friendly neighborhood dog stand guard. We pick up in the morning at Grand's funeral. The event is more than flesh and blood can stand for Sookie, as she is forced to listen to everyone's uncharitable thoughts about her. Worse, Jason has secretly invited her estranged Uncle Bartlett, whose presence leaves Sookie deeply shaken. 
She runs out of the service, and it is Letty May, of all people, to speak tearfully of Adele. Adele Stackhouse took care of my baby when I couldn't. I'll always be grateful for that. Tara is less impressed with her mother's about face when she finds out Letty May is there to ask for money. It seems she wants to have an exorcism. Having lost her grandmother, been alienated by her town, and on the outs with her brother, Suki finally breaks down while finishing off the last pie Gran ever made. The people of Bontemps find many ways to process the day's events, but as she consumes each pecan, Suki can think only of Bill. She runs across the cemetery to his home in her most virginal of nighties, and they consummate their new love in front of a roaring fire. She even allows him to bite her neck. So we start with this wake Mm. at Suki's house, which is now Suki's house, you know, was Grand's. Right. Which is, that's a big transition. For her yep. immediately. Yep. Um, there's that really interesting moment with Arlene where Arlene's like, aren't you going to move? And Suki's like, no, this is where all the good stuff has happened. I, I like that idea Ugh. that, uh, you know, that she sees it that way, that it's it's good that this is Grand's house, not, not a bad memory necessarily. Yeah. That familiar is really comforting to her at this yeah. time. Yeah. I wish we all had that sort of fortitude that Suki has. I know. I've had so much loss in my life. And I I was just thinking, you read my mind, Deb. I wish I had that mind that could focus on the positive. Well, you know, I think, you know, it's very true to her character. She's very practical in many ways, Suki, you know, for, you know, as many sort of romantic (laughs) fantasies as she has. Really, her everyday life is very you know, get the work done, get the house chores done, get your brother in line. You know, she's she's yeah. not really a, a dwell on the negative kind of a person. No, thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting is we seem to sort of start from the, the perspective of the town, from like from Arlene and from Maxine Fortenberry mm-hmm. and these people who have come to her home mm-hmm. bringing food. And, uh, you know, even when she hears Maxine's thoughts, She's really just there to kind of spy. It's a, it's like a gossipy, looky-loo kind of situation yeah. uh, that Suki is in on, but, you know, yeah. perhaps the rest of us would only feel. You know, she does have that comment where she says that she's numb and it yeah. appears to be stoicism. Yeah. You know, she really is stoic until she has that moment where she yes. just bursts out and loses it. Maxine Fortenberry, you put that pie down right now! This is Grand's pie! Oh my gosh. Man. I mean, I, I could go on you and on about Anna. You gotta hand it to Anna. I know. Right? I mean, <laughs> she... that clip, she's spectacular. Spectacular. She, every color yeah. of life is in this yeah. one episode. Yeah. And she just breaks your heart and hits every moment. And it's and it's funny, you know. I have to say, yeah. like, I laugh at that line as I am also heartbroken. <laughs> yes, you know, she hits. Not only does she hit all the colors, she hits two colors at the same time, which is right. really impressive. It's incredibly uh, impressive. 
writing helps you tremendously. So, yeah. you know, to have have written a character who's who is actively processing during this episode. This is not an aftermath. This yeah. is an in the middle of Sookie's working through this. Next, we go upstairs with Tara and Lafayette, who are really the only people there taking care of her, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, because after she yeah. loses it, right, then yeah. Tara steps in and says, okay, she needs some girl time. And then I like how she goes, Lafayette, come on. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that he, you know, she knows also that he's the only one the only yeah. other one there who's there actually taking care of Suki. That's it. Uh, and so they go upstairs, and I, one of my favorite lines of a, of all series, you know, is is yeah. and again it comes from Tara, who is just has the intelligence beyond her years, the wisdom beyond her years. Stop worrying about being so damn appropriate. This is not an appropriate event. I love that line. I not love great. that line. It's something I think we could all remember that. Yeah. You know, what Suki said about the pie, it's not weird. It's not inappropriate. She doesn't have to be appropriate. Something awful happened to her. Yeah. And it's something you need to hear from another person when you're in that moment. Maybe. Yeah. I think you need a friend to say what you're feeling is understandable and yeah. this is impossible and horrific. Yeah. And, and to have two people there who are you know, in some way, giving you permission to be there. And, you know, Suki is, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a good girl in quotes, you know, in right. that, you know, she's been raised probably to have certain ideas about appropriateness. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really lovely that Tara can give her that space, especially because, you know, Adele was a second mother to her in a lot of yes. ways. And, and I'm sure Tara needs to grieve in herself, but yes. she keeps it together for Suki. Another moment that I just love, Rutina plays it so perfectly as always, but Suki says, Gran is really gone. Yeah. And Tara takes a moment and then says, yeah, mm -hmm. Here she is. And the way she says it is just, it really hit me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their relationship is mm -hmm. so, so highlighted and strong in, in this episode. It is, it is, and it's so highlighted and strong when she protects her from Jason. Yes, which, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot of sides of Jason, but I don't think any of us expected genuine violence out of him. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, this whole half of the episode is about how people are processing their grief. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, Jason goes to the really worst place he could go. Yeah, it sets him up for where he goes next, right? Yeah. Right? Because the V is running, coursing through his veins, and he's yep. um, grief-stricken, and this is how he processes, and it's not ideal. Right. Well, and it's interesting to think, like, is the V, you know, you know, the V is causing this sort of extreme reaction, potentially, because it's in his system. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's it's interesting how this happening— at the time that he is still residually high, does that mm -hmm. contribute to his need for the V in the upcoming episodes? Because we're going to see that he gets yes. deeper and deeper into this. Yes. And I think the fact that he had this huge loss right when he had this new experience is, you know, in a very formative in a dangerous way. Yeah. And I can relate to that in a way. It's sort of an embarrassing moment to reveal, but, mm. um, you know, because there's that I think that's in this episode where he then goes to his truck and 
looks around, drops some V on the ground yes. or something, and he looks through the leaves for it. I had yeah. that with a Xanax when I was wow. dealing with loss. You know, I had very few and I was really struggling and I was hoarding them and I dropped one under my bed and all the cat hair. Wow. And, you know, brushed it off and they and found it and took it, you know, and it was like a quarter of one that I had left or something. And I thought, yeah. And I remember at the moment in my life going, wow, okay, this is where we're at. So that really struck true to me. And I thought the writers really set him up well for his next arc. That's so incredible. So then we move into the funeral. Yes. We haven't had enough sort of processing of this. We we have to sort of sit with it some more. Yes. Um, and this is interesting because one, Sookie can't stay. And we have the introduction of Uncle Bartlett, which is still kind of a mystery. We'll find mm-hmm. out more about that next episode. Mm-hmm. But all of it compounding means that, that she runs. Yeah. And we have these dual scenes with Sookie and Jason versus Tara and Letty May. Yes. We can start with Sookie and Jason's maybe. Um, Yeah. The first thing that strikes me about it that I absolutely love, and I give full credit to Audrey Fisher, our costume designer, is that Jason's suit is too big for him. Yes. It makes him look so small. He looks like this 12-year-old kid who put on his dad's suit because he had to look quote unquote appropriate, you know? And you put it on poorly, like the collars. It's not, yeah, it's not buttoned up. He hasn't, yeah. Yeah, it's like... Um, (laughs) It's it's perfect. I, I thought yeah. Audrey, gosh, every oh, detail, every detail, and, yeah. and that, you know that he he didn't have the presence of mind in this current state to really, you know, sort of step up for his grandmother in that moment that way, or for Sookie. and uh, yeah. but it also it it adds to the sympathy because obviously we're going to be with him for seven seasons, right? And we don't want him to just be per- someone who hit his sister. It, he is. A complex person. Yes. And he gives all of these excuses for why he did it. Yes. Yeah, that that line where he goes to her and he's like, Sookie, all we have is family. And she says, yeah. We have nothing. Yeah. And and you can see why, right? Like yeah. being hit by someone oh feels gosh, like at that an moment. inexcusable, unforgivable moment. Yeah, Especially that... when you're that low. You know, yeah. when you're you're suffering from a loss and and yet he's asking her to forgive him. Uh-huh. And what's fascinating to me is that then we go to Tara and Letty May. Yeah. And they are having almost the exact same conversation. Yes. And it's and it's perfect because, you know, Letty May's just made this emotional speech about Adele. And I, just like Maxine Fortenberry, <laughs> was very moved by it. Yeah. You know, me you too. can tell she means it genuinely. Yes. But again, Tara sees right through the bullshit and you know, immediately kind of calls her mother out. You had no right to speak for that woman. She was more of a mother to me than you ever were. Yeah. You know, and it, it's as soon it's it's one of those moments that like swayed me. I was so moved by Letty May, and mm-hmm. then Tara expresses this moment. I'm like, oh, oh my god, she's right as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's this same moment of someone who has has. Hurt Tara so much mm-hmm. and has all these excuses for why. Right. And then asks for forgiveness. And it's this and, wonderful question of yeah. must they forgive? Is that required of family? Is it not? Yes. Who decides? And how do you decide wow. that? And I'm I'm actually asking you, Deb. I'm asking <laughs> I the don't audience. Know. <laughs> because this is this is a theme in my life for a bit and currently. 
mm. where people do horrible things and hurt you. Yeah. And how do you, when you understand the reasons, but yet you're hurting. Yeah. How do, I honestly don't know how to deal with that. And I think as Letty May is giving that speech mm-hmm. about her demons, I, 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 my mind literally explodes at the conundrum of this in life where she does have demons. She is a good person underneath. But yeah. yet when you love someone who's doing these things, how do you process, how do you deal, how do you set boundaries and love them and forgive yourself? So Deb, I need an answer from you today in this podcast, but um, so I'll give you a minute, um, but at least I'll let you email me later on how I should deal with this in my life. But that one speech that Letty May gives about that, I think is really beautifully written. Please, baby, just listen. All those terrible things I did to you, it wasn't me who did them. I have a demon inside of me. What? A demon. Living and breathing inside me. Eating me up. (laughs) Don't you laugh at the devil terror man. Because he's as serious as cancer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you have a demon inside you. Oh, fuck me. That's too good. It ain't funny. (laughs) You have no idea what I go through. Wrestling with this demon. I try and do right. I try so hard, but it breaks me down. It poisons everything. I want to be the mama you deserve. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just that moment where we're going to speak with Adina Porter today about her experience, sort of the complexity of Letty May. And I I think Mm -hmm. her insights into playing flawed but sympathetic, mm-hmm. but controversial all at mm-hmm. the same time. And, and what moves people to take the wrong action, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just a really, it's a really beautiful exploration into that, that, that she did a really brave exploration, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, take a break for a quick bite. The True Blood Bible, Vampire Blood 102. 1. Vampire blood can temporarily give humans super strength. 2. The effects of vampire blood will wear off with time, but are also quite addictive. 3. However, a very large amount of vampire blood will create a bond of feeling between the vampire and the, uh, consumer? Mm. Is that the right word? Maybe recipient. Ooh, I like recipient. Allowing the vampire the ability to sense the recipient's emotions and whereabouts. The role of food in this episode called Cold Ground. I think Lafayette sums it up quite nicely. Wait till a man's heart is through his stomach. That shit true as gold. You put some love in your food and folk can taste it. Smell this. You can smell the, the fear and gnashing that's coming off that current bread. Tastes just fine to me. See, bitch, you're going to wish you ain't did that. Watch. First of all, hilarious. Uh... <laughs> Kern bread, which is pretty hilarious. I'm sure it was all uh, all uh, Nelson. Um, yes, 
And that Jello line, I also have to say, is, what is with white people and Jello? And I'm like, that is true. My life has been full of Jello. Has it? See, as a as a white person,、oh. I haven't had that much Jello in my life. I think it might be a Southern white person thing, maybe. Okay, I'm from the Midwest. There's a、okay. lot of Jello. Okay, interesting. Not a lot in New York City. I was going to say that shot of that table. Yes, was my childhood. Really? Yeah. See there, see, there we go. We didn't have the space for that. You know, like where、oh, are you going to put、right. all that Jello in New York City?、Uh, but I mean, I, it's just amazing. And actually, the fact that the wake starts off with this—I I can't tell if it's weird or wonderful or probably both—but like a casserole eye view shot. Yes, <laughs> it is so weird and wonderful. It's so weird and wonderful as Maxine Fortenberry walks through the wake with the camera right there,、um, you know. And I think we gotta give credit to、uh, Nick Gomez probably for coming up to that. Maybe the cinematographer. Yes, but it doesn't look nice. It doesn't look tasty. Whatever she's tuna casserole she's carrying.、Um, I know. And as we said, it, it's kind of this Trojan horse for her to just get in the door and get all of the dirty details about、yeah. this murder, and it、yes. actually has nothing to do. With love or concern for Suki's family, so I agree with Lafayette. I think that casserole is cursed. Yeah, boy, I know, and I really—it's fun doing this podcast because you know I heard about these. I, I listened to these scenes at the table read,、yeah. and I read the script, of course, but I didn't realize how incredible using food in this episode is. Yeah, it's really huge. So to that we swing to the other end of the spectrum,、mm. and we have this long pie eating scene、mm. for Anna Paquin as Suki、yeah. as she finally gives in to her feelings, and and this、yes. is you know the opposite end of the spectrum that Lafayette is talking about, where、yes. Maxine's casserole is cursed,、yeah. Grand's pie is is blessed. It's full of love. It's love. She's eating love. It's like and、yeah. and again like Anna just kills it. <laughs> She just breaks my heart as she's ingesting Grand's love. It was、yeah. so, so beautifully done on everyone's part. Yeah, and it's a long scene. You know, as、it's、an actor, you know, moments like that where you have to be very vulnerable and very open. You know,、yeah. they can be a little fleeting, and and you know, it's again such a credit to Anna that she sort、yeah. of could sustain that feeling through such a long scene.、Um, but also, you know. Knowing Anna a little bit and how she works, and I'll be so curious, you know, when we finally get the chance to speak with her about her、yeah. process. But I've done a number of scenes with her where she had to cry,、yeah. and she's one of those miraculous actors who can kind of、yeah. jump from one to the other. She、totally. can be cracking jokes between takes and、yep. then be there, hundred、yes. percent present, emotionally available the next minute. So I, I picture this scene. And I can see her, <laughs> yeah, cracking jokes with the crew and like having a great time, and then being a hundred percent professional on it, delivering every take. Yeah, she is such a pro. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The point of this moment that is so beautiful because it leads to this big decision in her life, and you know,、yeah. I know Gran was the person who always encouraged her to. Try new experiences and to、mm-hmm. open her heart to new people,、mm-hmm. and then that and the sort of fragility of life that she's experiencing,、mm-hmm. um, yeah, leads her to you know go and get dressed and、uh, seek out Bill Compton. Yes, and again, Audrey Fisher picked that most romantic, <laughs> most virginal nighty. Yep, yep, yep. 
And again, you know how hard it is to run barefoot outside? Your feet will always hit something painful. Absolutely. Now, they had like little ballet slipper type things sometimes for the far shots. Right. So you could kind of go for it. Um, But this is also, we spoke with Nathan Barr. This is the moment uh, where he got to really shine as a composer. So yeah, so he got to do this grand romantic score to cover her grand romantic, you know, white nighty run across the cemetery. Um, I love how there's the music when she's looking out the window as the sun is setting, waiting. Yeah. And then the music changes completely when she can Mm. go. You know, There's can like run to him. To it. it like it like lets loose. I think, it lets loose, bit, and music. then Bill walks out on his porch because he feels her coming. Yep. And he looks. He's he's wait, he's using his senses to perceive <laughs> what direction she's coming from. It is yes. the most romantic, and he sweeps her into his arms. I know. But then here's the fun part for me is that you know all of this poetic license that we have around the the beautiful imagery, but when you get down to like. The, the bare knuckle facts of this is, you know, obviously, what's the first thing you want to do after you eat half a pie? <laughs> Clearly. Right. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> it's going to get always, naked with somebody. Yeah, I never <laughs> feel like going into a coma. I always feel like losing no. my virginity. Immediately. Yeah. And then between, he, you know, he sweeps her up in, in his arms and he takes her inside. And then somewhere in the cut, <laughs> they've gone, pause. <laughs> And they've lit a hundred candles. They've put a roaring fire in the fireplace, despite the fact that it's probably a 98-degree Louisiana <laughs> night. Right. And presumably they've washed her feet from all of the barefoot running. That uh, is so <laughs> true. And you know what's funny is I did not I was I was pausing to look at her feet because I was like, <laughs> she is so tough. I think I see toes and not ballet slippers, but I did miss. The apparent vamp speed that must have lit a hundred <laughs> candles. Who has a hundred candles? I just love it. I think it's, but again, it's in a show like this. Yeah. I, I don't, again, I don't think it's a flaw. I think no, it's I like. I didn't even notice it. Like, mwah, like chef's kiss perfection of yeah. like poetic license. Yeah. We're going to do this because this is about. What the feeling of this is more important than yeah. the reality of this. Right. It's more right, important right. that we all get swept up in this moment so that we feel what Suki is feeling. It's I a think. big moment. And in fact, we're including this in the uh, food segment because Bill also gets to ingest this uh, episode uh, because Suki allows him to feed upon her. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a big moment, isn't it? It's a it is. This is a big, big moment that kicks. It's a big I moment mean, I keep saying this. It sets up the whole series, but it's a it big does. moment. Well, and also I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of shows will do the will they, won't they, mm-hmm. and this kind of cuts right to the chase. You know, we're halfway through the first season, mm-hmm. and our heroes have gotten together. Yeah, vampires just showed up, and she dated one. 
<laughs> now had sex with one and now has been bitten. Has been bitten. Yeah. She feels safe with this guy. She said earlier in the episode, I can be myself. Yeah. And it's nice. You know, we end this episode with uh, full stomachs all around. <laughs> so we now have a very exciting guest to talk with today. Yeah. Uh, we can't tell you how much we want you to hear what Adina has to say. Adina Porter plays Letty Mae Thornton throughout the series. Such a complex role, such a compelling interview. Dina, thank Hi, you so ladies. much for chatting with us. Thanks so much for wanting to chat with me. This is this is gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be interesting because you have this great arc in season one, you pop up a bit, and then this amazing arc in season seven. Yeah. I mean, we could talk to you for eight hours because we've been watching the episodes over and over. Yeah. Mm. We're just in love with your performance. Thank you. So first, we're asking everyone, how did you get the role? So tell us, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? Uh, Judy and Libby uh, called me into audition. You know? So I was the first one up, and I remember being <gasps> yeah. um, in the waiting room, and, ask, and I was not nervous about this audition uh -huh. because I had just had a... Uh, I just found out that I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And I had a, 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 a they call it a CBS, I guess. So those these special kind of tests to make sure everything is okay. Right. And I remember thinking, I'm not nervous about this audition, but I am a little nervous about that test. I hope that test wow, works out right. well. So I did the audition. Uh, Alan was in the room. And, and, uh -huh. and, I, and I do not look up people beforehand. Right. So uh, I neither. did not want to get nervous. <laughs> so I do it. And Alan asked me to do it again, a bit more drunk. Okay. And, and the audition was uh, the, the eulogy for grandma's, uh, Sookie's grandma's. Which um, is literally the episode we're excited to talk with you about. Okay. Yeah. Um, but great. That, 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 that monologue. Wow. And wow. so I did it. And I remember asking him, uh, was because I always asked if I if I uh, did what you asked me to do. So I said, "Is that what you wanted? Was that drunk enough for you?" Because I usually play high, um, <laughs> you know. And they laughed and they said, "You know, that was that was good." And I left, and I felt very good about the audition. Uh -huh. um, I later on found out that um, Alan has someone else in mind who was on a Broadway show at the time. And the um. only reason why they were holding those auditions was in case she couldn't get out of the show. Wow. Okay. And then I later on found out that Alan was so impressed with my audition that he didn't want to see anybody else. But oh uh, Judy and Libby said, there's a room full of people out there waiting, so we got to go through everybody else. And he was like, okay. Wow. I was driving home, and on the way home, I got a phone call from my doctor, from my OBGYN, who told me that the uh, CVS was really bad, and oh. that I don't know if this baby would make it to term, and, um, and whether you wanted to terminate. And oh, we, had, we had Jack at the time, and we had already talked about it, and we knew that if... Um, if the CVS came back really bad, we were going to decide to terminate. Something wow. I now know that I 
I had the right to do. But in the middle of talking to my doctor and crying with my doctor about this decision, because it was something that we wanted, my agents call me and say, um, you booked True Blood. Oh my, oh my God. gosh. And I remember thinking, God's funny. <laughs> God is funny. Wow. I had no idea that True Blood was going to change my career. I just knew it was a job. And at that right. point in my life, I got excited about every single job. You know what? I still get excited about every single job yeah. I get. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and if the pregnancy was viable, um, I would have had to tell people that mm -hmm. I was pregnant. Originally, Letty Mae was supposed to appear in, ep in eight episodes in the first season and then get killed off. Saved by your talent story. <laughs> and my old ovaries. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's remarkable, though, to have that. I mean, Letty Mae's story is a mother-daughter story. It's a, it's a story of a parent. And to have those two things, such an... Uh, together. I mean, you're right. I mean, that is somehow feels like more than coincidence. You know, I am beyond grateful for my beautiful teenagers and my tight pussy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Three wonderful things. Right? <laughs> yes. So that's how I got the job. Yeah. Thank you wow. for sharing that with us. That is truly, I mean, there's nothing like life and children and choices to put jobs in perspective, you know? Yeah. Well, let's dive into this a little bit. I'd love to know right from the start as you're reading it and you're you're getting even you know through the first few episodes that you're playing, is there, you know, what excited you about Letty May? What scared you about Letty May? Um, you know, if you can remember any of those sort of initial gut feelings. I don't um there's a poem hmm. that I think of whenever I think of Letty May. She thinks her body has no glory, but if she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. But there are no palm trees on the street and dishwater gives back no images. Oh. And that's what I think of Letty May. Letty May just didn't know. She yeah. just was raised at a time when the world did not value dark skin, poor girls with nappy hair. And I have family members who also grew up in that time. And so I didn't have to go very far right. to, to access Letty Mae. And I'll just tell you, my two sisters, they didn't watch True Blood because wow. uh, they thought that Letty Mae reminded us too much of mom. Oh, wow. They just go there like, yeah, we just can't. And mom wasn't an alcoholic. Sure. Mom wasn't really religious, but mom could not see her image for the beauty that it was. Only because mom was steeped in the racist motherfucking world that we live in. Wow. So um, I feel beyond grateful that I could exercise those demons. And I don't, I chose the word correctly, those demons. You did. Yeah. And got paid for it. You did. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, by exercising all that crap out that I, yeah. I, that I don't uh, pass on. That was um, that was uh, my family was steeped in. Oh, you wow. made me cry twice already. 
Um, <laughs> well, that's what that's Dana. what Lady May is supposed to do. It's supposed to make the crew laugh and the producers cry. Wow! I love how complicated Letty May. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say is because for some people they're just tuning in. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think your your point is you know straight on because you know the way that she treats Tara is in many ways hard to forgive and yet we love her and we feel for her and we want her to be better you know we want her to get better we feel her sickness in many ways and that balance is so beautifully struck by you I think you don't hold back on her flaws and yet the humanity in her yeah we root for her it's just terrific thank you means we love her you know um and and we see why Tara has the same hopes that she has. And, uh, you know, we're just, I think, so blown away. I, you know, one of my favorite scenes from that first season is the bank scene, <laughs> which is, I mean, you sway in 500 different directions in that scene. And as an actor watching that, I'm like, how did she fit all of that into what's a two, three minute scene? And I, you know, I, I look up to you in that moment. Oh, I think, sweet. Go, Thank like, you. It's wonderful to watch because in a way, for me, I see how smart Letty May is. She is working every angle she can. It's just that that alcoholism has such a hold on her that she can't use it to fight the alcoholism. It's only in service of it, you know, and, and but she's looking for a cure at the same time. I'm so and, and we need it in a way to convince skeptic Tara to go forward with this crazy plan that Letty May has, <laughs> which you chose the word so well, is an exorcism. I never thought of Letty May's problem as alcoholism. Oh, okay. I thought of it was poverty and, sure. um, and undereduc- under, undereducated. I just sure. thought that she just was alcoholism or, or, or the alcohol was just a way, it was a symptom was gotcha. a symptom of being stuck, yeah. being stuck poor and uneducated or undereducated because she was smart in other ways or she yeah. is smart in other ways. She is. Yeah. I am smart in other ways. Cause, you are. Because unlike, <laughs> unlike plays, you know, where someone else gets to do the role, you know, and it's like this person's interpretation of they ain't doing no, it's in the can. I am letting oh, yeah. motherfucking. <laughs> <laughs> so I can claim her. Yeah. I'm so cheeky. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, it impresses me so much is because, I, you know, like you just said, it, was, it wasn't the alcoholism. That was the result of something much deeper yeah. and more affecting. Can I tell you how the wigs came about? Yes, please. Yes, wig story. <laughs> the wig story. How the wigs come about. How the wigs came about. Uh, I had my hair permed or, you know, straightened um, uh-huh. uh, for the for the audition. And and I'm giving my son a bath and he's splashing and the words come out of my mouth. Baby, don't splash mommy's hair. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, I would tell my son not to splash in the bathtub so that my hair doesn't yeah. go back. Bullshit. Right. No, right. that's not that's not how my life is. That's not how I'm going to be a mom. Right. So I cut my hair again and, and made it a fro. Well, then when it was time to go back, 
you know, paranoid me. I was like, I have to go back looking exactly like I did at the audition or exactly like I, I did at, at with the last, because yeah. I don't want them to change their minds. Oh, right. So I got a wig. Ah, I got, you a got a wig. I got a wig and I, and I showed up. And then in the, in the, in the make, in the makeup trailer, they were like, well, wigs, what a great idea. And Letty May can't have expensive wigs. And so that's because Letty May would never have the guts to have straight, I mean, to have natural hair. Wow. Right? Right. Because she doesn't, you right. got to have, you got to have a vagina to have natural hair. Yes. You have to have a <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> and then, you know, you have balls. It's a strong vagina. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that's, I mean, but, but, but ladies, yeah. you can wear your hair any way you want to. I'm just saying yeah. that Letty May, it was always about, you know, how to look as close to white as possible. And so she would yeah. straighten her hair. So that's, right. that's how the wigs came about. And um, I, I, we started darkening my teeth because one of my late husband's friends, I remember him watching the show. So I must have started season two or something, started some coloring the teeth because they were like, your teeth are too good for <sighs> how much money you have. And, right. and and everything else. There's a line in the, I mean, there's so many great lines, but at the funeral, this is so sweet. It, you say, and we might throw to it or have me crying and reading it. When I was going through some bad things, my daughter would go stay with her, Mrs. Stackhouse. And I always knew she'd be just fine. Adele Stackhouse took care of my baby when I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I'll always be grateful for that. Yep. Right? Just breaks your heart. Well, you know, there's that saying, it takes a village, right? Yeah. And, and um, I am beyond grateful that I have girlfriends that I can, and, and boyfriends, family members, not family members, families, that yeah. I can uh, drop my kids off at, um, if you have that audition that comes in last minute. Right. I appreciate that. Because, you know, Letty May couldn't because of her demons of her not being able to. But then also Adina Porter, who's a sober as a judge, also has friends who um, could take care of my kids when I am as a single mom out there making it happen. So beyond grateful. Yeah, yeah community is a huge part of this show. We yeah. keep commenting on the southern small town feel that just, I don't feel like we have in our lives today, but that's amazing if you, you do to some degree. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For better and for worse, you know, all of, all of what comes right. with that. Right. Yeah. People in your business. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting to have Letty May speak for grand because Suki tries to, and doesn't have sort of the the space for it in that moment, her ha- just having died and hearing all of these voices as she can. And it, it's, it's, it ends up being that Letty May is kind of the perfect person to speak for Adele in that moment in a way, because, because they share so many experiences of being a parent of loss of things like that, of, of, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's sort of this surprise that comes out of left fields that, that Letty May is such a lovely speaker and then we get into this interesting, I'd love to speak with about your relationship with Rutina and as actors working together as peers, but also playing a parent. And for you as an actor, 
you know, how does how does that work? Is do you keep those relationships very separate, or you allow some of the feelings to kind of help you through it, or what is your process for that? At that point, I was a um, a new mom, and a right. mom of only a um, a baby, so um, I didn't have the same kind of wisdom that I have now with mm. being a teenage, with having teenage, with parenting teenagers. But I felt as an actor who has been in this business longer than Bertina, I had, um, it, it was it was like a parent or not like a parent, but like as a, I've, I've, I've gone through this road. I've been on this road longer than you. Mm-hmm. So I can give you, when you say that, what I hear, that kind of feedback. Right. Because I would never okay. say, look, let me tell you, because you know she went to Juilliard, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell her what to do, but I, am, I will share with her from experiences that I have. And I'm not, not as, just, just from what, if she would say something, I would share. And maybe because we both are theater people, maybe because we're both black yeah. women, um, we liked having it done in the first or second take. Huh. Um, so we used the rehearsal as a rehearsal, and it got to a point where it was in the can on the second take. And uh, yeah. the crew, it got to a point where the crew would just say, well, well you know, we're going to be done soon because these people, we, it's always, <laughs> you know, we get it done in the second take. So that we, it became our, like, well, you know, Let's do it in the second take. And, and sometimes <laughs> even the first. So that's what, so, so that we felt like, well, A, we don't want them to, we want to be economical. So we always want to be like, we're, those two sisters are saving us money. <laughs> so that's how we like to think of it. So that we always were like, we're going to get it done the first take. And just because we're going to be like, well, we don't have to worry about those two. And we just kind of did it like as job security. So that's how we, uh, it does feel good to nail it. Doesn't it? It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we just made sure that we were super prepared. We knew the words backwards and forwards so that we could have fun and knock it out (laughs) and not, and not a search for words. Um, and, uh, I, 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 I lived, I lived by the model by the motto of making the crew laugh and the producers cry so that I want the crew to feel, I want, I want to feel comfortable being naked emotionally around them. Mm. So I want them on my side. And so entertaining them, um, laughing, um, doing it quickly so that, cause you know, I can go back to my trailer. They can't or they don't have one. Um, right. I try to, I want to keep them as happy as possible uh, so that <laughs> they, their, their energy, I can feel their, that they don't mind holding that bounce so that I get a little bit, you know, extra light. Mm-hmm. Tina and I both come from families that gave a, gave us lots of material <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to share in these situations because, you know, we're, like I say, you know, we're steeped in it. I always wondered too, isn't like, it's kind of cathartic in a way for me to 
be the creator of the feelings when in real life loss hits me. But when I'm on set and I'm playing loss, it's somehow, I think, helpful for me. This episode is a lot about loss. I know you've experienced your own loss in life. You know, I just I just am beyond grateful for my imagination because uh, before Madison died, I, uh, I, I, I did not have anyone close to me die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For folks who don't know, my beloved husband dropped dead <laughs> right before season seven. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been eight years, eight and a half years. Um, not a, that an hour goes by when I don't think about him, even though yeah. I've been, I've loved and, and, and have been loved. My, our children miss him. Um, but I don't regret any, any moment of my life that I've gotten to, I've gotten to love deeply. I know that love exists. I'm even going to say that it still exists because things keep happening. I just kind of go, I, I am a human being that has been loved. I am a human being that has experienced love and I just feel beyond grateful. I am beyond grateful. Season seven, uh, my father died season seven. And here I am going, uh, well, every once in a while I would go, gosh, I should really cry. I should really be able to cry more since like the two closest men in my life have died. But I, this this is all I got, but uh, hopefully it's enough. (laughs) Yeah. I had a big loss in season seven and, and I've, um, I was just so grateful to have a community. I think it was really huge. Yeah. Sure. I have to say that I also am one of those actors who I will do whatever the writer, whatever the writers decide. So I don't, I don't um, look forward to, I don't hope, I don't um, imagine where the character is going to go. Um, I, I, I read and find out what the people above me decided where the character is going to go. And then I have my fun is figuring out how the character is going to go. I don't think I've ever said, oh, my character wouldn't do that. No, I don't. <laughs> I've, I've never said that in my life. Yeah. So I, I, I had no visions about what it was, how they would resolve it themselves. I just was, you tell me what you need and I'll, I'll deliver. That's, that's, that's how I think about the, the character arcs. Sure. Sure. When you think back on the True Blood set, because each set has a feeling and it's different. Is there anything that you remark on in your mind or that you miss? So when I think of True Blood, I think of uh, I think of being surrounded by really sexy naked men <laughs> and being and being like not phased by it. Mm-hmm. That we're that we got so used to it, we did <laughs> that it was just like that's that's Tuesday, and there you know there are other women who are like how could you how could you how could you and I just would be like you know 
I just I'm behind him is in line, you know, and and I'm I'm, right, I'm right. deciding is he going to eat that or I'm going to eat that. It's just, just, just yep. That's just the way we were. I when I think of of I I I I think of the table reads when I think of True Blood. Yes, I think of us all being around the table, and yeah. and yeah. we would we would read, and then Alan would say. Just two people sitting at a table talking to each other. Remember, he would say that at the end, "Just two people sitting yeah. at the table talking to each other." And, and there would be uh, forty-five speaking roles, <laughs> right? It was like because it wasn't a table; it was table. it was six tables yeah. connected in a big circle. It was so yeah. intimidating for guest stars. I I love that you brought that up because I think it's something I wanted to tell the audience is that yes, we would get together every episode. And it would be at lunch. So if you were filming, you'd go grab your food and then you'd take it and eat it in between your scenes. And then um, we would read it and we didn't read it. We acted it out. And it was the only time. It was such a precious time, I think, because then you split up and film your scenes. But it was where we got to see each other. We got to hear the words out loud. We got to mm-hmm. see how they land with somewhat of an mm-hmm. audience. And it was those table reads were really and special. Well, this has been fantastic, Adina. I mean, thank you so much for your candidness and your personal sharing. I mean, yes, just, you know, so beautiful. Both of us, our hearts swell. Oh, today. you're very yes. kind. Thank you. And I thank you very much for inviting me to, to, um, to to join the the remembrance, remember the yeah. the bottles of True Blood, like of um, yeah, it's in my refrigerator. <laughs> it's in your yeah. refrigerator. Yeah, we're in the back <laughs> for years. It's, I'm it's, like, it's, it's, that's so cute. It's just so I open it up, and it's just like, oh yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. we started off with I telling the story about how I got this job. Life would have been so completely different if True Blood didn't happen. So I am. Um, here it goes again. Beyond grateful. Beyond grateful. <laughs> well, that will be the title of this. Episode, okay. <laughs> Beyond grateful. Thanks to okay. Adina. All right. Um, just uh, Adina. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, Deb, I think my tear tracker is like buckets. It's all filled up. It's all feel filled up today. I mean, my Lord, I was just, I was trying to blow my nose off mic. Like, she, I, that was so yeah. moving to me. Well, for her to, to be so personal and, and, and candid with us, uh, you know, I don't, you know, we, we, most of our interviews have revolved around, you know, the work and the inside baseball of it all. And it's so refreshing and lovely to hear you know, her personal stories of she remembers this show through what was happening for her and her life at the time. Yes. And it's how I remember the, a, a vast majority mm. of the show, too, because as an actor, you experience it with your life. You're not experiencing yeah. what people are experiencing when they watch it or the parties at the end of the season. It was just so moving yeah. to talk to her. What an incredible person. You know, I think after watching her performance you know, this time, 
and realizing that, you know, even as a viewer, I didn't see as deeply into what she was doing now that she has shared yeah. the wealth of complexity that she brought to this, this role. I, 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 w- I want to watch it three more times <laughs> I know, and try to catch these subtle moments. And I, I'm so blown. I mean, I was blown away the first time and now knowing how much more there was under there that she was mining. I just, I'm totally, <laughs> totally amazed. I feel like that with everyone we interview because everyone's yeah. so damn good and professional at sets or what have you that yeah. we just are enjoying the show. I'm continually impressed at just how invested everyone is. And that, everyone. dear dear listeners, is not the norm. There it's are always the a handful of people in this business who are kind of just there to like, because it's a job and yeah. they're not that invested and they do their thing and they go home. And like, I don't have a judgment against those people. That's, you know, within right. their choice. To the, that's their job. But part of the reason why this show is so exciting and why we want to talk about it 12 years later is because every single person was invested yeah. to that degree. Yes. Every single, that has, that I don't even, I mean, has it ever happened before or since? I mean, it's really, really, really <laughs> rare. Yeah. It certainly hasn't yeah. happened in my career before or since. <laughs> Next week on Truest Blood, we look at the different ways belief can impact our lives and uh, we witness a backwoods exorcism. Yeah. Like only on True Blood only can you have a blood. backwoods exorcism. <laughs> and the terrific Aisha Hines, the exorcist herself, will yes. be with us to spill all the details on her experience of getting the role and playing the role of Miss Jeanette. Jeanette. But that's all for now. So thanks for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Y'all come back now, you hear. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Gavonkar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. <laughs>